We are asked over and over again, how do you find the right phone numbers for the properties you're trying to buy? It is pretty simple. You skip trace the owner and property address. What does that mean? What does skip trace mean? It means you go and find the contact information of the owner of a property. But you don't want to do that one time. Real estate is a numbers game and a people business. You need to work a lot of leads to find motivated sellers. We use an awesome skip trace service that you can upload a giant list of names and addresses all at once, and a few minutes later, you have a ton of phone numbers for prospecting. Visit www.dpipodcast.com forward slash skip trace. Welcome to the Discount Property Investor Podcast, where we show you how to buy real estate at a discount so you can create wealth over time and income today. Our mission is to share what we have learned from the experience of others and help you make more money investing like a pro. We want to teach you how to create wealth by investing in real estate, the Discount Property Investor way. Thanks for tuning in. All right, guys, welcome back to the Discount Property Investor podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us. If you're a first-time listener, we're uh, glad you're joining us, and we wanted to encourage you guys to check out the free wholesalecourse.com. There, Dave and I put together a program for you, teaches you everything you need to know to get started in wholesaling. Pretty excited about that. So if you haven't checked that out, please do. Uh, other than that, um, we're, we're excited to have Jeff Perky on. Jeff is a financial planner with E3 Wealth. Uh, how are you doing, Jeff? Good, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, yeah. thanks for coming out, Jeff. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. No awesome. So, so tell me what you do. You said, uh, I, I asked you to describe what your occupation was, and you said uh, basically I mean, financial planner or strategist, I guess. Absolutely. My day job is uh, getting people to think differently about money and financial-related decisions. So at E3 Wealth, we are a comprehensive financial planning firm. So when someone walks in the door to our office, we're looking at all aspects of their lives, whether it be investing in the stock market, looking at their tax returns, and just figuring out different strategies that we could work with our clients on to help protect and preserve their assets. Okay, very cool. So you work you work for E3 Wealth, is that correct? Yes. Awesome. E3 Consultants Group. I remember we I originally met Jeff about a year ago at a weekend uh, it was a weekend seminar for a local real estate investment association, ARIA. And uh, Jeff had had come and, and well, we, actually we had it at Jeff's office. And uh, you guys had given us um, a pitch about it really was more of a lesson about um, life insurance and um, I think you called it uh, infinite banking? Yeah, it was the infinite banking concept or right. specially designed life insurance contract. Infinite banking. So we, have, we I'd like to dive into that a little bit more about that today in this episode. Um, yeah, let's a, get started. What is infinite banking? Yeah, there's from a lot somebody, of value there. From for, somebody just on people. the total outside. I mean, what what is that? Yeah, what does that mean? Uh, means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but the way that we look at the infinite banking concept is it is a safe money alternative to the traditional banking. So let's take a step back here real quick and define what banking is really. So okay. it's more or less a place where we just store our money, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of just keeping it under the mattress or digging it up in a Folgers can out in the backyard, it's just a place where we actually store our dollars, right? right. So the only difference between traditional banking methods and then the infinite banking concept is that way, once we get the dollars in there, our money's always going to be working for us, even though we can still utilize the dollars at a later point in time. Okay. 
So what do you mean get them in there? So what is uh, what is in there so for you guys? First and foremost, we're not using a metal can in our backyard. <laughs> not today. Not today. Okay. I mean, well, we might is, have some back there. Right. This is an alternative <laughs> to that. Absolutely. Right. Gotcha. So we got the bank. A much more we've beneficial. Got the, the metal can, and then we've got uh, what Jeff is proposing, right? Yeah, the infinite banking. So the infinite banking. Okay. Uh, when we say get in there, it's more of how do we go about designing a contract that's going to fit and meet our clients' needs. This isn't just you walk into our office and we're going to say, oh this is right for you. It's more of understanding where you're at from a financial standpoint and what makes the most sense. Mm -hmm. We look at this from a cash flow model. So it's more of where's the cat, where's the money going? How does it work in your own personal economy? And then how do we go about designing a way to f a funding strategy that's going to be appropriate for you that you feel comfortable with that you can do on a regular basis? Sure. Because this is, this strategy is not something that we just kind of want to set the dollars in there and kind of forget about it. This mm -hmm. is something we want our clients to actively use throughout their life. Okay. This is a, a way that we can help our clients accumulate wealth, get out of debt, mm -hmm. buy big ticket items. I mean, some of our clients use this to take vacations, pay off their mortgages. It just, it all depends on what your personal goals and objectives are. Got it. Got it. Well, I think so, that makes sense too, because if you say it's kind of an alternative to banking, I mean, most people think of banking as their checking or their savings account. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's got to be somewhat liquid for them, I assume, or there have to be ways that you're going to be able to use some of those oh, absolutely. Uh, dollars that you put in, right? Absolutely. And that's kind of an important, that's kind of an important concept going into the design aspect of this because we want to make sure that we're working with a mutual insurance company that has a term that's called non-direct recognition. And basically that's, now I'm getting a little deep into the weeds here, but basically that means that once we put money in and borrow against our policies, that, mm -hmm. that money's still going to always be working for us based upon the dollars that go in. So just a simple example, let's say we put in $10,000, okay. and then I want to go out and buy a car for $5,000. I borrow money from my policy, well, to go pay for that car, well, now my money's still going to be working for me based upon the $10,000 I put in there, not including the $5,000 I just borrowed to go out and pay for that car in cash. So I didn't have any interest costs associated with that, meaning buying the car or financing it. I could just go out and buy it straight up and be done with it. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It does, but I just don't understand why a company would allow you to, you know, deposit $10,000 into an account that's bearing interest on $10,000 of the, you know, that's in the account and then let you go up to, you know, the institution and pull half of that money out and still pay you interest on the entire 10000 Well, there's a few qualifications that you have to go through in order to be able to make that initial deposit. Okay. First of all, we have to, number one, be medically eligible to receive one of these types of policies because this is a life insurance contract, so we do have to qualify for it. Gotcha. Now, pause you right there. Now, there's multiple types of life insurance. What type is this? This is on a whole life insurance chassis, a whole life insurance contract. Whole life. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I know that there's term, there's universal, and there's whole. So mm -hmm. we are specifically talking about whole life insurance. Is that Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Gotcha. And the reason being is because on the in the spectrum of insurance, whole life insurance is traditionally the most, it, it's not traditionally, it is the most conservative life insurance contract that's out there. Okay. So once you get your money in there, there's a guaranteed section of this these policies that that money will always be there. So gotcha. essentially once we qualify, it never goes away as long as that you keep funding it or have adequate cash value inside of the policy, mm -hmm. so it'll just constantly fund itself. Gotcha, okay. So we've touched on the fact that it is a whole life insurance policy. You have to be qualified. So what would be some of these qualifications? You had mentioned that you have to be healthy mm -hmm. or somewhat healthier to qualify the health guidelines. Mm -hmm. What else are required for, for people to maybe get into some sort of a policy like this? This is where it comes into looking at the financials. I can't just walk into 
uh, an insurance company's office and say, hey, I'm, I need $10 million worth of insurance coverage. Well, they're going to ask for my tax returns. They're going to ask for all of my assets. Mm-hmm. And then based upon where I fit with those numbers, that's how we determine what an appropriate level is for a funding strategy for these types of policies. Mm-hmm. So we can't just pick an arbitrary number and say this is where we want to go and how much right. we want to get. So from our standpoint, the way that we look at this, it's more of what's the most amount of cash that we have available to us that we could put inside one of these contracts and also kind of keep the death benefit as low as possible. Sounds kind of counterintuitive. No, I get it. It makes sense. But right. it's more of we're looking to utilize the money while we're still alive and can go out and buy and do the things that we want to do mm-hmm. versus just have it for our beneficiaries. Not saying that that's not important. It's just making sure that we can do the things that we want to do with our dollars while it's always going to be working for us while we're still here. So I assume, Jeff, you're working with the companies or you know the companies that will allow you to do that, meaning uh, maximize your your cash value while keeping the uh, face of the life insurance down. You guys are always... Oh, absolutely. We're we're constantly talking with the mutual insurance companies that we work with, um, and that's a key factor right there. We need to be work make sure that we're working with mutual insurance companies, not stock insurance companies, because very similar to a credit union, it's owned by the policyholders mm-hmm. or the, the depositors in a credit union scenario. So this mm-hmm. way, it's a benefit for everybody. So they want to make sure that they're making good investment decisions. So they right. lend people the money in that regards. Gotcha. Awesome. That makes sense. Yeah, it does make yeah. sense. So who who is your target client? I mean, or who are you looking to meet? Or who does this make the most sense for? I mean, it's, I mean, for the most part, I'm working with a lot of real estate professionals. Okay. And it has to do with just a way to utilize your dollars for money that you know that's going to be spent regardless. So, for example, I'm personally buying single-family investment units as a rental portfolio for myself. When I first started to design my own contract, I knew that I would be have to pay two primary payments on a regular basis regardless of what I did. My real estate taxes and my real estate insurance. Mm-hmm. Make sure that I have these properties insured. Those are two payments that I'm not going to miss regardless. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything else... You know, yeah, I will pay them, but right, not it's as not as, it's not as important. <laughs> yeah, but sure. it is important. But I've designed my contracts around those two things because that's a known cost in my mind, where I have to pay that regardless. So build a policy around stuff that I have to spend money on, and then at the end of the year when I have to make those payments, I just borrow money for myself, make the payments, and I'm still getting that money to work for me inside of the insurance policy. Okay, I'm I'm a little confused, and I'm sorry, I'm just a little slow. So does that mean, I mean, you are going to pay that money back then? Mm-hmm. So you just kind of, you're basically financing your payments to yourself or from yourself or? Yeah, basically, yes. Yeah. Uh, but th- the benefit is, is that I don't necessarily have to at that given point in time. Like I'm borrowing money from myself, so now mm-hmm. I'm becoming the bank. So I control the terms of that loan. When I decide to pay myself back is entirely up to me. So it's not like going to a bank and borrowing money from them and they say, all right, Mike, guess what? Every 15th of every month, uh, you're going to have to owe us this, this dollar amount. Otherwise, we're going to come and re- repossess or take right. your piece of property. Take right? your car, like you said earlier, or take your house. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So in this scenario here, it's they know that at some point in the future, I'm going to pass away, right? Okay. It's the reality of the world that we live in, you know? Mm-hmm. So my policy loans are already collateralized by a death benefit. So once I pass away... They're just going to take and subtract the amount that I borrowed from my policy against the death benefit. Awesome. So with these whole life insurance policies, 
There's no, it's not like term, it's forever. Once you sign the contract with them, mm -hmm. it's forever. Right? Absolutely. So what happens if for some reason, and I'm sure this is probably, this is probably a rare scenario, but what happens if, you know, I deposit 50 grand into one of these policies and there's obviously terms and conditions that go along with that, but I'm like all of a sudden after a couple of years, I need that, all that money out of there. It, Can I close the policy or would I just borrow it all out of it and then try to pay it back or? If in that scenario right it, there, I, we would try to recommend for you to borrow the money first. Right. Unless it's just something that can't be done. Right. Because if you just take and close the policy, then that would possibly create a taxable event, which is one of the main benefits on why we'd want to put money in there. Because everything inside of the contract we is tax-free money. So we don't have to pay taxes on any of the gains as long as it stays inside of the contract. As long as it stays inside of the contract. So if okay. you're just saying, hey, Jeff, instead of taking a loan, I just need this money. I don't like this thing anymore, which does happen, can happen. We try to avoid it as much as possible. But if that's what you want to do, then we can make that happen. It's right. just you need to be aware that it could well, that create up a I'm sorry. That brings yeah. up another question. Um, so let's say that I do deposit, you know, $50,000 as an example. Um, into one of these policies and I go buy a rental property mm -hmm. um, and I pay cash for it. So maybe it's less than 50. Let's say that the property is 40 grand and it's ready to go. I get a tenant in there. So like you said, I'm going to have my taxes. I'm going to have my insurance. I may have some maintenance expense. I may have a, vacant, a vacancy here and there. But regardless, I'm going to be bringing in more money um, a month off of that tenant that I'm gonna have in expenses, AKA cash flow. Mm -hmm. Does all that cash flow have to go right back into the policy as the tax deferred income? Mm -hmm. Or can I take that and deposit it in my checking account and pay my, my water bill at home? Uh, you can do whatever you feel is appropriate for you at that point in time. It's gotcha. just a matter so Okay, please. It's just a matter of where are you at? What are your, what's your personal cash flow look like in that scenario? It's just a matter of making sure that we design it appropriately because there are limits that we can put into this initially. So if you're going to say that I want to put $50,000 in mm -hmm. the first year, we want to try to make sure that we put that in for at least a five to seven year period. So this way we optimize the portfolio, uh, your, your, your portfolio from, gotcha. from the life insurance standpoint. Because there are some rules, the IRS is aware of this type of strategy, right? And they've given us some guidelines that we have to, fo to gotcha. follow. Gotcha. So um, it wouldn't make sense for me to put, let's say, I had fifty thousand dollars and only fifty thousand dollars to put it all in day one. Absolutely. Because no. then year two, three, four, five, so on and so forth, I wouldn't be able to contribute and/or match those. So it'd be better to kind of break that out over a longer period of time. You're saying then? Uh, it, yes, for the most part. Gotcha. It just depends on your specific scenario. Now, if you continue to go out and buy properties, and you know that you're going to continue to buy properties, and you're looking, and you know what your your margins are, mm -hmm. and you keep doing that, then we could possibly stru structure that to make that work. But it's just a matter of what's going to be appropriate for you. Right. This is why we spend a lot of time on the front front end of this, where we make sure that we design this appropriately for you. So it sounds like these policies are pretty. To think of the right word, but like pliable, I mean, you can kind of structure them any which way that you want, as long as, as long as you can keep the contributions coming in, mm -hmm. and the and, and you meet all the guidelines, right? I mean, it doesn't seem like there's like a cookie cutter, one size fits all policy. It sounds to me like you can kind of design it any which way you like, right? It's yeah, it's the way that I'm using mine specifically for my rentals is based upon my cash flow. So love it. It's I beautiful. Know, I know these numbers, mm -hmm. you know, where it's like. I know what I'm going to be spending every single year 
on my properties right. from those from those primarily those two expenses, real estate taxes and insurance. Right. And those are two causes. I really don't like writing those checks. Mm -hmm. So but you know you have to regardless. Yes. Right. It just drives me nuts, but mm -hmm. it's the nature of the business that we're in, right? Right. So are you only using the policy for those two things at this point then? It's also kind of a, a reserve account as the policy continues to, to mature. Right. I'm going to start building up more and more cash value inside of there. Mm -hmm. So it's going to keep growing and compounding, which is key too. So mm -hmm. even though I take the money out, the money that goes into it is still working for me. So gotcha. I don't necessarily have to make any loan repayments back, but I do to make sure that that policy will still be there for me. Right. Is there any, is there any restrictions on what you can pull the money out for? You're the bank, man. You can do whatever you want with it. Yeah, see, and I think that's a kind of a, a good point, though, too. So it's not necessarily just for somebody who has $100,000 to invest today. I mean, you, it sounds like you are building up your policy. So I assume it's maybe a 10 pay or something like that where you're, you're paying once a year, uh, you're contributing to the policy's cash value. Is that right? Absolutely. Or, I mean, obviously, you're, any, anywhere you're, on the spectrum. You're thinking along the right lines. Yeah. I mean, mine, I based mine on a monthly mm -hmm. premium payment because it correlates with my cash flow. So as the tenants pay me on a monthly basis, I just take money from that and then it goes straight into my policy. Gotcha. So I could do it on an annual basis. I just made the choice not to. So it's entirely up to you and what you guys feel comfortable with or what right. somebody feels comfortable Yeah, and again, with. I just wanted, because I, I think our, um, our biggest audience is, most, is newer investors mm -hmm. um, currently. I mean, that's the feedback that we've gotten. So I just wanted to say that it, it or just make point at that out that you don't have to have fifty thousand dollars i think to get started doing something like this is that fair or is that oh you're absolutely right okay I mean, good my first policy is a thousand dollars a month so it's i'm not by any means this isn't a big policy for me but it, i have a game plan going forward that i'm going to continue to do this to where it's like i'm going to open up another policy as soon as i get a few more rentals under my belt mm -hmm. this way the cash flow can continue to keep funding more and more policies because my ultimate goal is to essentially get rid of the lending institutes institutions that are out there which would be awesome if you didn't have to walk into the bank all the time and get loans and go through the underwriting process and well give me give me 30 seconds on how you'd get rid of the bank i mean so right now obviously i think you you're you're buying um like b-class c-class properties paying cash for them it sounds like mm -hmm. uh, and then using the rent to make your policy payments mm -hmm. and then you pulling cash value from that to pay your tax bills and um taxes insurance. and insurance. insurance yeah so i mean basically the, my goal is is i yes i do come in i buy i find identify a piece of property that i want to buy mm -hmm. i'll come in and pay for it with cash mm -hmm. this way i can acquire it and i have more leverage sitting at that table mm -hmm. on the back end i will come back and refinance out of that deal so as soon as i close on the deal get it fixed up get a tenant in there i'm going to go and approach up one of our local lenders here i I work with a few just to make sure that I can pull the, you know, pull out what I can out of the piece of property. This way I can reload and go do it all over again. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that whole process takes between 30 to 60 days mm -hmm. to close on that process. So if I do that on the front end on every single deal, it's going to take forever and I might lose some leverage yeah, on the front of the table. As opposed to being a cash buyer. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So it's just being able to not have to deal with that at all to where that interest cost the amount that I'm paying the banks. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the year, you just look at your, your statement and you just see how much money is actually going to their bottom line and not to my bottom line. For now, so, it's helping me from a tax standpoint, but I don't like seeing that money leave. No, that's great. So fast forward for me. Makes sense. Fast forward for me um, in Jeff Perky's world, 
uh, 10, 15 years down the road. How do you replace the bank, though, I guess is what I'm asking. Okay. So we built up policy one, then policy two, and then we maybe get a big one or something. Explain that, explain that to me, so if you don't mind. I'm on the cycle where I'm probably going to be buying every 10 properties, I'm going to set up a new, new piece, new contract. Okay. This way I'll be generating, give or take, what? I'll be generating about $100,000 gross revenue on those numbers right there, based upon what I currently have out of my eight properties. That's how I'm coming okay. up with my numbers. Sure. Um, so each, each $100,000, I'm going to just set up another $1,000 a month contract, pull it out, and then just take out, start taking out bank notes. So, but at the end of my first five years is when my first balloon payment comes due, mm -hmm. I'll have enough money in there to start taking out bank loans. So once my refinancing period comes due with the lenders that I'm working with, because I have commercial loans mm -hmm. and I have five-year balloons, I'll come back in and just take them out to where I now become the bank to where I can pay myself back through my policy instead of have to go through the refinance process. Gotcha. Where I gotta go out and deal with another appraisal, deal with potentially, I shouldn't say potentially, more than likely higher interest rates at that point in time, which ultimately cost me more money. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes that so it's, clarifies it for me. So, to, so the way I look at it is like, instead of you depositing into a policy, it's very similar as if you were just depositing this into a savings account. However, down the road, whenever you go to borrow against that savings account, you have tax advantages as well as interest that you're acquiring on the total amount of money that was ever in the policy versus what's in it at that day. Yes. Am I getting you're, my following? You're going. Plus the plus the death benefit, right? Did you mm -hmm. say that? So yeah, plus so the death benefit. So, so let's talk about the death benefit because I'm, I'm there's a disconnect there for me at this point so. in time. So, well, I just don't understand. Um, walk me through, here's a, a, I think this will be a better, a better way to explain this. Let's do an exercise where you would walk me through. So let's say that I'm the client, I come into your office, I say, hey, I can put, you know, 10 grand a year into a policy for the next five years at a minimum. Mm -hmm. You know, how would that contract look for me? That's what fine. else would you need for me to like figure out how a contract would look on the, on on similar situations. Well, let's back up for just a second. Before we come up with that number, it's like, how did we come up with $10,000 from your point of view? Right. Like, we just want to make sure that this number is going to be sustainable so that way once that funding strategy goes into place, we know that that money's going to be going in there. Gotcha. So, so that's very important. Oh, absolutely. Like, it, it's kind of a... Because let's say that that was the, the original goal and then after a year or two, I lose a job or something happens and I can't make those contributions uh, is, is there bad penalties that would happen or there's we do have flexibility with inside of these contracts to where we can reduce the death benefit mm -hmm. and make that a potentially fully paid up policy sure but it's just a matter of understanding do we have reserve do we have additional savings elsewhere uh, it's just a matter of working through the problem to see if it still makes sense to keep it there um, that does happen you know bad right. things happen all the time it's just a matter of how do we go about coming up with a reasonable solution for that type of scenario but to your question though, it's more of how do we go about funding, developing a funding strategy for this? So think of actually going through that wonderful process of dealing with a bank and getting a loan. We basically have all those same documents that we ask for, tax returns, bank statements, you know, checking account, brokerage statements, right. a list of all your properties. Because the insurance company is gonna wanna make sure that the dollar amount that we do apply for, there's a reason for it. They're not just gonna let anybody walk in off the street and just apply for some ridiculous number amount of insurance. Like mm -hmm. there's got to be a purpose for it. So identifying what that is and how we can go about 
creating a policy surrounding a specific number that you feel comfortable with. Right. Does that make sense? No, it does. It makes perfect sense. And that's kind of where I was going with my question is, you know, setting up these these contracts to me, because I've never done it, mm -hmm. seems like it's a lot more complicated than I think it really is. I think it's actually pretty simple. So it's just, uh, I mean, the hardest part is if you don't like needles. I mean, to be truthfully honest, because right. you're going to have to go through a medical underwriting. So they're going to ask you questions. Do you smoke? You know, they'll come out and stick you with a needle and right. take blood and urine and all that wonderful, fun stuff. But that's part of the process to make sure that the insurance company is doing their due diligence to make sure that there is an insurable interest. Right. Just because we submit an application doesn't mean you're going to get an offer. So it's just making sure that they're doing their due diligence for the policyholders that they have made offers because their obligations are to them to make sure that they're doing their job to make sure that they're underwriting these policies correctly. Right. Okay. What kind of interest rates are, are standard? And I, I would imagine every contract is going to be a little different. For the most part, the, the, the range that we've been seeing right now, and this is at historic lows given where interest rates are, right. we've been seeing about 4 and 5% in that range. And that's the annual rate, right? That's an annual rate. Okay. So just put the, try to get this in your mind for a minute here. That's based upon the dollars that go into the contract, but just imagine what you're getting paid in a traditional savings account right now. Oh, yeah, like... 0 0.01? Right, maybe? if that, yeah, I mean, it's... Okay, it's nothing. so it's just a matter of people that save money right now are the ones that are actually being, unfortunately, punished for having good habits with money. Right. So it's just a matter of repositioning some assets where some people may want to go down that road, some people may not, because it's their, it's their comfort level. So it's sure. just a matter of understanding where they're at individually. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. I'm following, I do have a, a, another question though. I'm still having, I'm still not understanding the whole tax sheltering okay so i have a roth ira mm -hmm. and it's self-directed with the company here in town uh called the interest group you probably are familiar with them oh yeah so i move over um, a, a decent chunk of my of my roth to this company and i have checkbook control so i can go out and i can buy real estate or really i can buy anything i want um, i just can't lend money to myself and there's a couple other little rules but i can go out and buy a, a piece of real estate which i've done mm -hmm. with my roth and um, and then I have a tenant in there. So all that income has to go right back into that Roth. If I sell that property in a couple of years and I make a capital gain, you know, th there's no tax on it. It's not a taxable event. However, it has to stay in that bucket. Mm -hmm. There is no co-mingling. That was like really the number one thing that they, that they kind of taught me whenever I went down and set this account up is like, listen, everything you do in, in this particular account you know, whatever you own in this account or any income or any capital gain that you make in this account is going to be sheltered from taxes. But, you know, one penny of commingling can potentially screw your whole situation up. Oh, yeah. So I know that now and I'm very aware of it and it's really awesome. So I love it. You know, I'm going to continue to buy in, in properties with my Roth IRA and, and, and do, you know, do deals within it because there's no tax on that. But I guess where I'm having a disconnect is if I did this a similar approach with a whole life insurance policy, so like you, you're borrowing to pay taxes and insurance, which is great, and then you just pay that back later, mm -hmm. and you're and you're still, so you're not having to go to the bank to get that money and or come out of your personal checking or savings account. You just borrow from your your policy, which then pays those bills, and then you pay that money back on your own time. Mm -hmm. So that could be weeks, could be months, could be quarters, whatever the case is. Got it. But if I bought an entire property with that, 
and I wasn't just paying bills. Yeah. I bought an entire property, which I'd imagine you're going to start doing in five years or so, or hopefully sooner. Yeah. Is it the same situation with the Roth IRA where every dollar that comes out of that property has to then be funneled back into that to that whole life insurance policy? Like, I guess we're, that's maybe, maybe I'm asking the wrong question. You're heading down the right path. It's, um, <clears throat> that's one of the control issues with the, the Roth not knocking that strategy. Oh, no, not actually, if that's where the majority of your dollars are, it totally, it, it makes a lot of sense to go that route. Right. But just the simple fact that you can't even go over there and take out trash cans to the curb, if I'm not mistaken, go, dealing with the dealing with the self-directed IRAs, or you can't do any of the work or the maintenance on there. It's just like right. you said, I just sit there back and write checks, which by all means, I'm, it's probably better that I do, do that myself, just right. sit back and write checks, because when I start doing work, it, cost me a lot more money. Sure. Right. It, <laughs> me too. <laughs> but the whole, the point is, is just having control over where those dollars go. Got so it. once you sell that piece of property, where does it have to go? It, well, within the Roth, it has to go right back into the Roth account. In the Roth. And I'm assuming I make a capital gain, then I get to keep that, no taxes, but it goes back in the Roth. Mm -hmm. Then every single rent payment that I get goes yep. into the Roth. Mm -hmm. And then all the bills come out of the Roth. So yeah, I mean, it's an, it's an entity of its own. Mm -hmm. It's completely, you know, segregated from the rest of my investments. Mm -hmm. And it's great because it's just tax-free, but I can't touch any of that money other than invest it into more assets until I cash in that Roth at 65 or 67 or whatever that number is. It's 30 years down the road for me at this point. A couple of things. How much? What's the maximum that you can put into your Roth IRA on an annual basis? 5,500. Okay. Depending on where you're at from an income standpoint. You could cap that out quick. Yeah, right. pretty quick, right? Right. And not to mention if you're making I want to say it's what 160, maybe 180. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere in there. Then you can't even contribute. Actually, hold on. I'll tell you, if I have it in here, did this on purpose. Yeah, I want to say you're right. Phase out. It's uh, if you're single, it's 118, 133,000. Mm -hmm. So, so if you hit those numbers, well, then that you can't even make contributions. You can't even contribute. Got so it. It, that's one negative, but. By all means, there's nothing wrong with that strategy. It works and you can make money at it. It's just more of controlling where those dollars go. Right. And how much money you can actually put into that specific type of vehicle. Right, right. So depending on where you're at from a financial standpoint, that also includes all of your assets, all of your tax liabilities, all those different things. We might be able to put more dollars on a regular basis into one of these types of policies. This way we could use it for whatever we want. So to your point though, when we take money out of the policy to pay, let's just keep it simple like with what we've been talking about, my real estate taxes and my insurance, I don't necessarily have to put it back in there. Uh, I'm still gonna be making money based upon dollars that went into the policy. So I'm gonna be getting an internal rate of return based upon that specific contract. And then I'll have an external rate of return based upon the property. So essentially I'm doubling my, my return, so to speak. Got it, so when you borrow against the policy, and that money hits your checking account, for mm -hmm. example, then you're not obligated to, to to have anything to necessarily to do with the policy. It's separated at that point. You're mm -hmm. saying, yeah. So you just owe the policy. Period. It's just and whatever you do with that money that you lent yourself from the policy, you can go and invest. You can go take a trip it. to Vegas. You could do whatever you wanted to do. Careful if you go to Vegas. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, essentially, yeah. you can do whatever you want with it. Whereas my Roth IRA. There I can't. Is, I have there checkbook. Is no there is no restrictions. Right. Like so I have checkbook control, but again, it's very limited on, you know, what I can do and 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 you know so on and so forth, and it has to stay within that account, and there has to be paper trails in case of an audit, all that stuff. But 
with the whole policy is it's a lot different. Well, I think what you're talking about, though, or you're kind of headed down that path, is that the reason you use your Roth is for that tax benefit. Is that it is a tax-free, uh, basically, earnings. Right. And so what are the I prefer to control the investment, whereas if mm -hmm. I go buy Apple or Microsoft stock, like, yeah, I own something that may pay a dividend and it may appreciate, but I'm just praying. I can't control what those companies do. Absolutely. Whereas if I buy so, a property, I can control the tenant and I can, you know, yeah. So, so I guess the question is then, what are the tax benefits of using life insurance? Uh, the I main, mean, that's the, the main, absolutely, that's, the, that's the question. The main tax benefits are that anything that is earned inside of the contract, so any of the dividends that are being paid. Mm -hmm. So within, so that yeah. internal rate of return yes. that you were talking about, that that's tax-free. That is tax-free. Got as it. As long as it's inside the contract. That's just, that's so why that we answered all the questions. questions. Got well, it, got and, it. And let me, because again, I'm a little slow. you got to explain it to me real, real slow. So the money goes into the policy. So it builds up your cash value or your life insurance death benefit. What is hap what's, what's happening? Ultimately both. Okay. So as you so both are growing though. Good. Over time, yes. So as we start, as your policy continues to grow, once we start to reinvest the dividends inside of the contract, it's going to also add to your death benefit as well. So over time, you will start to see this on both sides of the table: the cash value and the dividend and the death benefit also increase as well. But ultimately, the main objective from our standpoint in trying to buy real estate or whatever anybody really wants to do as far as big ticket items is how much money do we want to get in here and then have access to that money to go out and use it for the things that we're going to do. Right. Want mm -hmm. to do, I guess I should right. say. Excuse me. So that brings up another question. What's the benefit of um, a big life insurance company or a, I guess you call it a mutual company, right? Because mm -hmm. they're owned by the policyholders of offering a four and or 5% interest rate for me to deposit my money into that institution. Like, it seems like it's a quite a, quite a high rate for them to pay me. I'm, I'm assuming they're taking that money and then they're investing it and they're arbitraging what they're paying me and what they're making. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, you got to think about, think of it this way. These insurance companies that work, that we're working with have been around for many, hundreds many, of years, yeah, right? Many, many years. Right. So they go out and they invest in They'll invest in treasuries, they'll invest in corporate bonds, real estate. Uh, they truly use an endowment style model when they go out and invest the, the, the premium dollars that they get from people like us. Right. So they go out and invest the money as well. And additionally, once we take out a policy loan, that's also an investment from the insurance company. So essentially your money stays where it is, it's just used as kind of a collateral, so to speak, for the money that the insurance company would actually lend to you. Got it. So they're going to charge you an interest rate, but it's pennies on the dollar from the way that we design our contracts. So it's more of that utilization strategy. So it's an investment from them to you. To you. So it's a way that they're diversifying their portfolio, right. their investment portfolio. So let's just say that you had, again, I'm going to use some random numbers because I want to try to make it easier to understand. So let's say that I had a $250,000 death benefit mm -hmm. and I had built up my policy. I don't know what the cash value w would be. I guess it really wouldn't matter. But let's say that I had borrowed against my policy, and I had borrowed like, you know, fifty thousand dollars off off of that. And then I were to have I something bad happened and I died. Mm -hmm. So would that just mean that, that whoever was the beneficiary of that policy would then get two hundred fifty thousand minus what I had been what I had borrowed from the. Is it, is, it, is it that simple? It's that simple. Wow, that's pretty cool. So so that's two hundred thousand essentially would go back to the beneficiary. And then if I still had any, any money in that 
in that account, would they also get that too, or how would that work? Does that come off the it, top? It's just the straight up death benefit at that point in time. So if you've, because essentially you've already used that money, right? The cash value, where you've borrowed it to buy a piece of property, buy a car, take a trip, doesn't whatever right. you decided, that's the benefit to you. But you've essentially leveraged your what your money at what four times at that point in time. So you put fifty in and then took it out, then you unfortunately passed away. So somebody's going to get a check for two hundred thousand dollars. Right. So it's kind of a win. I hate to say it this way. It's a win-win in that scenario. Right. Because no, you've made money. Very interesting. <laughs> very interesting. I love learning more about these creative ways to invest and finance and, you know, just park money, for, mm-hmm. for an example. Because I think I don't think a lot of investors are aware that, uh, that these options, you know, are, are out there. I think a lot of people buy term insurance because it's cheap but it's obviously has a term you know it expires i mean look at it from a business owner standpoint if you're gonna you're gonna sit here and just look at your cost well essentially you're just spending money for a potential event that may or may not happen right i mean hopefully none of none of us pass away any prematurely by any stretch of the imagination where that has to be used but if you don't use it then it's just you just spend all this money in the event that you did pass away so it's a cost that you can't really recoup so to speak it's just gone Mm-hmm. In this scenario, it's a way to utilize the dollars while we're still here to make it work more beneficial for all of us. Right. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So then yeah, what about what cool. about that, though? So I know that uh, there's got to be some limits on uh, once you make your initial contribution. And again, let's just uh, say that somebody does a $50,000 lump sum one-time you know, mm-hmm. contribution. I mean, how much can you actually use of that 50000 I um, mean, is there are there restrictions on that? or? Well, yet again, I'll just back up for just a second mm-hmm. if we're going to do fifty thousand dollars and that's the number that we ultimately come up with that we yeah. want to fund this we're going to try and break it down over five years just to get the funding strategy down okay because that's that way it's going to make it make the dollars work uh, that much more efficiently for you because if we just put it in all at once it's the internal cash value of the policy is just not going to work as effectively as if we stretch it out over a longer period of time does that make sense no. Yeah, Why? I don't understand I don't that understand either, but I think it's because the companies, just like any company, they want cash flow. They don't want a big chunk uh, of change today. It's also, it, that piece right there is going to come down to the actual cost of the insurance. Okay. So we're very conscious of that. Now we're getting real kind of technical. It's, deep, it's getting deep, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's right. just, we want to stretch it out as, you know, we want to stretch that out from a cash flow standpoint as long as possible to meet the IRS guidelines so we don't do what's called a modified endowment contract. So we want to push the limit to that number. Okay. Because if we go So what over it, would that number be? Can you could you have a twenty year contribution or thirty year? Does it can it go out that far? Or is it typically we, five to seven? Well, basically what we've done is we've taken a traditional whole life policy, which is typically about thirty years. Okay. And we've just tried to consolidate all those premium payments into, into a, a five to seven year period. Gotcha. This way it's allows us to help get that cash value to grow much quicker, much quicker. Okay. and accumulate faster. Yeah, that's a great way to just to describe it. This way we can use the money for things like Real estate taxes, insurance, or buy properties depending on the dollar amount. Right. Or travel. The the beauty of it is it's the flexibility. Right. Having control over where I spend my money and when I decide to spend it. Right. So. Yeah, I guess because my brain is, I mean, uh, I want to get fifty thousand or a hundred thousand or two hundred in there as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just what I'm thinking, so that I can actually use it. Um, but to your point, though, I'm sorry. I yeah, so that, sorry. No, it's, it's so good. let's just stay, stick with that same example. Let's say we did the fifty thousand dollars. That's mm-hmm. the number we came up with. We wanted to fund it for five years. So that means first year we're going to put ten thousand dollars in the policy. Mm-hmm. 
we typically have access between 50, uh, 60 and 80 percent of that first year's premium payment. Okay. And that number will increase over those fi that five-year time period. So there's more, more money, more, a higher percentage of that money becomes available as the longer it's there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk year two then. So we put 10,000 in the first year and then we put 10,000 in the second year. So then do we get 70% of all of it or how's it yeah, you would, come uh, break down? Just to keep it simple, yeah, I'd say 70%. And yet again, it's gonna be depending on your specific mm -hmm. situation. Sure, and your policy and all yeah. that stuff. And then third year, put another 10,000 in, you're probably gonna have 80%, something like that. Roughly. Yeah. We're yeah. getting in that neighborhood. So, yeah, we're just, I mean, we're just giving ranges here at this point. Okay. So it's just one of those things where as we get closer to that five-year mark, we'll potentially be able to access 100% of the dollars that we have put into the policy. Okay. And then obviously your cash value is growing to then after year five. Like mm -hmm. that's going to continue to grow even mm -hmm. though you don't put anything else in. You don't have to. I mean, yeah. Ways but can you, can, you keep, can you keep contributing or would it make sense to then have a new policy, a.k.a. Yeah, a, a new question. contract? Like what would be the difference... I guess, yeah, it depends, but like, what would be the, what would be the advantage though? That, that's my question. What would be the advantage of, of me, for, in, for instance, having the policy like we talked about where you had 50K and you put it in over five years and then you kind of capped it out. And then the next year I had another 10 grand that I was going to be putting in, but I didn't need to. Would I start a new policy or would I just add it to that existing one? Like what would be the pros and cons of doing such a thing? Well, this is why we spend a lot of time on the front end to make sure that we right. understand how long we want to fund this. Mm -hmm. um, because at some point in time, we will be maxing out this specific policy. So in those scenarios where we decide that, you know, we've hit the, the limit on the funding, mm -hmm. we we would possibly open up another policy at that point in time. Does there just, be really no reason to, to just keep contributing yeah, to it? Because the last thing we want to do is go over what's called the, the modified endowment contract for the, the IRS tax code. Right. So we don't want to go over that limit because once we do, then it basically becomes a Roth on steroids, right. where we won't be able to utilize the dollars the way that we're talking about right here today. Right. So it all comes down to uh, <laughs> just using these strategies for tax advantages and loopholes and banking, you know, without having to walk into the bank and I, so on and so that's forth. That's the biggest so. driving factor behind why I'm designing the contracts the way that I am. So Love it. Love in it. my scenario, uh, the biggest thing to answer that question though about you know once we hit that point, the mm -hmm. biggest question we have to ask ourselves is: Are we insurable? Because if you're not insurable, then we may just want to try to keep funding as much as we possibly can. We could put in probably a smaller dollar amount. Mm -hmm. It's just going to depend on where we're at that point. So what time. would make somebody non-insurable? Heart attack, cancer, medical issues, because this is a insurance product. So they are going to see, they are going to have to test again if we decide to open up another policy at that point in time. Right. So if somebody's a smoker, then they're going to have a high, they're not going to be able to get as good of a policy for example, as somebody who's non-smoker, right? You're gonna, it's gonna cost you more it's money. It's gonna cost you more money. So it depends on how much you really wanna pay for it at that point in time, if they'll even insure you in the first place. Got it. So some companies will, some won't. It's just a matter of understanding that on the front end of the equation, so. Awesome. So I've read a book. It's probably been two or three years since I've read the book. It's called Bank on Yourself, mm -hmm. I believe. And I think it's some, it's kind of on this topic. Do you have any other books that you would recommend our listeners and our viewers to read that would kind of give them a little bit more information about the whole life insurance game as far as investing goes and some, you know, some more places where they can learn more about oh, this? Yeah. Um, I'll send you a link too. There's the uh, private to understand uh, the secret language. Oh, excuse me. It's the, we call it the specially designed life insurance contract. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've actually wrote our own book with the help of the Nelson Nash Institute. Uh, the, the founder of the mm -hmm. infinite banking concept. So awesome. we've worked specifically with them and going through this whole process. So, I mean, it's 
Sweet. It's extremely helpful. So I'll send you a link for that as well. We'll have it in the show notes. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. Is there anything else, uh, Jeff, I mean, that we didn't ask? I feel like I've learned a lot. I've learned a ton. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty interesting concept for sure. I'm just right. glad to see your guys' heads aren't spinning. Yet. <laughs> no, no. I mean, <laughs> well, I think they were. I but mean, we had we, a lot of good questions yeah. that, you know, that you did a good job of making, you know, you clarified and put together the simple solution for us because this is a complex product. Mm-hmm. It's not, It's you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, complex. Well, it's a, it sounds like a simple product that you're using in a slightly complex way. Right. So we're taking that insurance. But, but and with all it. things, you know, creative, they're not always simple. Mm-hmm. So this is yeah, it's, it's a great tool. I you mean, know? ultimately, this is just a way to minimize risk of market volatility. Right. So knowing there's a known factor in here. If we're able to get the insurance, then we know a rate of return that we will be able to get at this point in time. Right. While we're still being able to access those dollars that we put into the contract in a tax-free manner. In a so, tax-free manner, yep. Um, just having the flexibility, the control, and minimizing risk, I mean, that's huge. Knowing the fact that, God forbid, something happens to me, my wife doesn't have to worry about any of these issues, mm-hmm. that's huge to me. So sure, She could sure. just own a portfolio that's generating $80,000 gross income right now to her. I mean, right. why not, right? Why not? So it's just a matter of how do you go about positioning your dollars so that's always gonna be working for you. Right. I want my money working harder for me, uh, working harder than I have to then work for it. Then I have it. to work for it. I'm with you 100%. <laughs> Absolutely, man. We're so. on the same page there. Well, if, if our listeners and viewers want to contact Jeff, Jeff, what's a good a good way for, you know, some, somebody to contact you to get more information, you know, and or say somebody wants to, wants to you know, get, get the ball rolling on one of these whole life insurance products immediately, mm-hmm. how could... How would they reach you? You can give us a call in the office at 314-822-4440. Call and ask for me. Um, or you can email me at jperkey, P-U-R-K-E-Y, at e3wealth.com. Or worst case scenario, just look me up on LinkedIn. My information's out there. You can find me there. It's public. So Awesome. Awesome. Jeff, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks and for having me. I hope I uh, oh, didn't scare anybody away. No, you did great. Answered a lot of questions, informed our audience and viewers and listeners about uh, a really awesome product that you can use to you know help help your investing goals and reach your goals um, so again check out Jeff Perkey J-E-F-F-P-U-R-K-E-Y he's over at e3wealth.com and uh, Mike you want to go ahead and read us a quote to yeah let's wrap up guys wrap it's up. Uh, not a matter of what you make it's what you keep thanks for listening guys Thanks for listening to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe to help us reach a wider audience. We would also appreciate it if you left us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks in advance for your support. And remember, you make your money when you buy and get paid when you sell. Now let's go build some wealth.